Welcome to Indie Cider, where we go beyond the game and meet the developers behind today's indie hits. I'm your host, Ken Gagney, and on this week's Indie Cider, I am playing Discourse by Boston-based Alchemy Labs. This game came out on March 25th for Steam. I'm playing it on the Mac, and it is an interactive choose-your-own-adventure game. In this game, you play as Rita, a barista who has crash-landed on a desert island with five other survivors of the plane crash. You all must work together to find shelter, food, water, and eventually a means off the island if only all of you can survive. The game does this through a story that you have some control over. It is a two-dimensional graphical adventure that shows your place on the island, and you can walk around and explore the very scene that you are in, but there is a specific goal in each area, such as to defeat the crabs that are trying to attack you, or collect driftwood to make a sign. At certain key points, the game will ask you, what do you want to do next? Do you want to save Teddy from the crabs, or do you want to save Steve from the tabs? You've caught one fish. Who should eat it, Jolene or Garrett? Who should go look for water, Jolene or her husband, George? Should you show George the divorce papers that you found among the crash wreckage? Each of these options is presented through a sort of dialogue tree, and you make a decision and the game goes on from there. There are no takebacks, not until you have finished the game and you get the time rewind feature, which allows you to go back to any point in the game and choose a different decision. The point being, though, if there is a point in the game where you have to choose between, for example, climbing a mountain, crossing the desert, or building a raft, Whichever one you choose is the only one you will choose. This isn't which one do you want to do first, and the narrative will eventually encompass all three. You get only one narrative at a time. I found this very reminiscent of Scholastic Microzine's Twist-A-Plot adventures on the old Apple II, except all grown up. Those were primarily text-based, but every now and then there would be an illustration to show the scene that you are in. Now, in Discourse, there are always graphics, but the gameplay really comes from the text. I found myself enjoying Discourse. A complete playthrough can take about 45 minutes, which may not be that long, but as you'll hear in the interview with developer Graham Borlin, there are over 300 variables in the game, and thus quite a few different endings. Some vary dramatically, such as all five of your companions dying, all five surviving, and various combinations and permutations of them surviving, dying, or being damaged or making it to the end in some state or another. I like the art style, which is very abstract, very angular, and yet the color palette was similar of other alchemy games, like Jack Lumber, for iOS, which is very different from this game. In fact, alchemy has never done a game like this, and they weren't going to until they went on Kickstarter, and their backers really grabbed onto the narrative. You can find more at Discourse.com, that's D-Y-S-C-O-U-R-S-E dot com, or by listening to this interview. My thanks to Jenna Hofstein for introducing me to this game, Michael Carrier for introducing me to the developer I'm about to interview, and to Gaming Media for suggesting one of the questions that you'll be hearing. Unfortunately, both the developer and I were sick at the time of this interview, and I also must have accidentally misconfigured my Skype settings just slightly because I don't think the audio quality is what you've grown accustomed to in the past 20 episodes of IndieCider. Speaking of IndieCider's past, one slight change to our publication schedule. Historically, I have published on the first, third, and fifth Wednesday of every month. Not every month has a fifth Wednesday, and on those months that did, you got a bonus episode. I'm going to be eliminating that fifth bonus episode. 
maybe I'll be doing an audio-only podcast that is not necessarily a developer interview or focus on a specific game and looking at the indie scene in general instead or some aspect thereof. Maybe I'll take the week off. Point being, you'll be getting two traditional episodes of IndieCider, which has always been the case most months anyway. As always, you can find the complete catalog of games and episodes at IndieCider.net or in iTunes or on YouTube. So thanks so much for listening. You can always send feedback to feedback at IndieCider.net. I hope you enjoyed this week's interview. Today I'm chatting with Graham Borland, developer at Alchemy, who was brought onto the team specifically to work on Discourse, finally culminating after two years in a recent and successful product launch. Hello, sir. Hi. How are you today? I'm good. How about yourself? Fine, thank you. It must be so exciting to see your baby launched out into the world. Yeah, it was um, a very long road to get here, and uh, the game went through a lot of changes uh, during the two years, and um, it's super awesome to see something actually out and on Steam after such a, a long journey. What would you say were some of the biggest changes you saw the game undergo in those two years? Does it pretty much match the original vision, or were there some major evolutions along the way? We basically, in the earlier days, we pretty much did a 180 on Discourse's design, actually, because the original inception of the idea was sort of as a survival game, which people tend to think of as more of a mechanically driven, like stats and items and crafting type of um, mechanical game as opposed to a narrative game. Um, and that's kind of what we were originally going for. Um, but throughout the course of uh, doing our Kickstarter in 2013 and getting some more um, feedback from players and stuff, the parts of the game that people liked ended up being the narrative parts and the character moments uh, with the with the NPCs. And that ended up being the stuff we focused on to the point where it literally just became a narrative game. And uh, once we embraced that and sort of uh, intentionally started trying to make a narrative game, that's when we sort of found what Discourse was sort of meant to be. So it sounds like the original vision was a little bit closer to the rest of Alchemy's portfolio, games like Jack Lumber and Ah, which are very action-oriented. Was it challenging to depart from that uh, style that you've so successfully developed your company? Yeah, I mean, uh, Alchemy's certainly never done like a narrative-heavy game before, um, and never anything on this scale. Um, like, this was a huge production compared to past titles. So it was different, yeah. I mean, Alchemy doesn't really do anything uh, consistently in that the types of games aren't a set thing. Like, if we just think something is cool and worth doing, we'll uh, do it. Yeah, so it's different, but we don't really have so much of a grand scheme of what we're trying to make. We just like making little interesting projects, so uh, we thought it would be cool to do some narrative stuff. For someone who has not been actively involved in game development, like me, from the outside looking in, it might seem like the kind of game you ultimately went with might have been easier or simpler to design than a more action-oriented or resource management game because you don't have to think about inventory or character stats or stuff like that. Is that, in fact, true? Was a narrative game easier to produce? I wouldn't say easier, and it's funny because we thought that in the beginning. Uh, like, our original idea had to rely on a lot of uh, AI and stuff for the characters because it was very, like, open-world, sandboxy, mechanic-driven uh, and we thought, yeah, oh, it'll be easier if we just write everything ourselves and we don't have to worry about making the game smart enough to figure things out. But the uh, the amount of work involved in writing out all the branches and making sure things actually work properly was, I mean, it's it's certainly equivalent, if not more complicated in some ways, to uh, actually make a compelling 
narrative game uh, that branches in the way that Discourse does. So what sort of original tools or assets had to be developed at Alchemy to produce this game? I assume it's not just written in Twine, for example. <laughs> no, that wouldn't, uh, that wouldn't exactly cut it. Yeah, we're a Unity studio, so we do everything in Unity. And uh, one of the major things we had to do for this game was to develop a custom editor extension for Unity for just managing our content. And a big challenge of figuring out how to make the game was actually just figuring out how we would structure our content. Like, you can think, um, sure, a story is person A says something, person B says something, but what is a story, how is the content of a story actually structured and stored in a game like Discourse? So that was a big exploration of like what kind of flowcharts and uh, stuff like that can we use to actually describe the content in our game. Uh, so we ended up making this huge editor that's basically like this uh, crazy flowcharting system, um, kind of like a finite state machine, but not finite. <laughs> it's just got all kinds of lines and arrows flying all over the place. Uh, so we have a, a flowchart system for the game's content and then a separate flowchart system for the game's dialogue. Uh, we use a program called ChatMapper for that. So our writer would just write out a branching flowchart of person A talking to person B dialogue. Uh, and that sort of interfaces with this custom tool we made, uh, which is a separate flowchart of the content branching. So it's basically a giant chaotic mess of flowcharts. Now, I see ChatMapper can be found at chatmapper.com. As for the custom Unity editor that Alchemy developed, how does that work? Do you Does Unity require that you then release that tool to the public, or is it proprietary to Alchemy? Uh, it's proprietary to us. Yeah, like it's not, uh, we could, like theoretically, we could put it on the asset store or something, but uh, it's not really something that would be useful to other games. Like it's definitely tailor-made for discourse uh, and the specific type of content we make. So, yeah. That means it must also be rather limited, not only to the general public, but also to Alchemy. I mean, when else would you use that tool except to create Discourse 2? Yeah, exactly. And uh, we've kind of structured Discourse in a way that we can add um, additional stories to it. Like, we have the Discourse core game, which is the story of Rita. And um, as part of our Kickstarter, one of, the, um, one of the goals was that we'd make this sort of secondary short story about a, a bunch of indie developers who've crash-landed on an island, and it's sort of like a short story about them surviving as like this alternate, um, basically like an alternate scenario for the game. So it uses the same system and the same type of content, obviously. But yeah, like that's, that's basically the limitation of what we can do with the system, is to make more discourse. And that DLC is actually happening? You met that stretch goal? Yeah, we're working on it right now, actually, and it's it's just going to be a free part of the game. Like, it's just more stuff you can do with Discourse. Uh, so anyone who has it on Steam will just get it when it comes out. Will those indie developers be fictional, or will they be based on somebody you might know? Uh, they're actually, like, literal representations of uh, actual developers. We've got a few people, like uh, Tim Schafer, Edmund McMillan, Phil Tibetowski, uh, Alexander Bruce is in it. There's several people um, who are actually literally real people. And do they know that they're going to be in this game? <laughs> yeah, everybody's signed off on uh, being represented. Oh, good. What about the characters that are in the core discourse game? How did you decide on those particular characters or archetypes? I know you are the developer for the game, and you may have done some animation as well, maybe not so much uh, had a hand in the narrative, but any insight you can shed into how you chose these particular characters? The thing we wanted to do with the archetypes of the characters was basically basically the only real goal we had was just to, to A, make them interesting, and B, to sort of stay away from the existing tropes in the survival narrative type of thing. Like, we didn't want to have, you know, the tough guy and the survivalist person who actually knows what they're doing. And, like, these kind of, like, you would see in, like, a zombie game or something where you have the very distinct, like, uh, character classes, pretty much. 
Um, so we took the angle of like, who are the random people you would be stuck with on an airplane if you're traveling or something, and how would they act if they were thrown into a survival situation they had no idea how to deal with. So we tried to think of archetypes that would make for interesting conflicts and situations based on that. And that was pretty much our only guideline. So we had a lot of ideas that were um, thrown out or revised, and uh, we can cut it down to the six that we have. So unlike the DLC, these core six characters are not based on any real individuals? No. Like, we have... They're basically based on very general uh, character tropes. Like, we've got a conspiracy theory person, um, a gamer-type person, a farmer, that kind of stereotype. Because Steve actually reminded me of somebody from the comic book Knights of the Dinner Table. And that comic book itself is, they heavily employ a lot of different archetypes as well. But uh, it was just interesting to imagine that this could be the same person in both universes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, a lot of our characters do totally have like references and stuff based on their theme. There's a lot of different uh, science fiction and stuff references in there. Speaking of science fiction, this game is about crash survivors stranded on a desert island with a government conspiracy being suspected. How much of this game is inspired by or is a parody of Lost? <laughs> yeah, that's something that does get brought up a lot. Um, it's funny for me personally, because I've never seen any of Lost. Um, so coming from my side, uh, I can't really say that it's uh, influenced me, but the others have seen it. And um, I think it's influenced in general by stories uh, like that, like any island survival scenario, you're kind of inevitably going to get like um, subconscious inspiration, I guess. And yeah, like I say, there's plenty of references to uh, not just stuff that relates to the survival scenario, but stuff that relates to the tropes of the characters and referencing um, like for Teddy, the conspiracy theorist guy referencing alien movies and uh, X-Files type stuff and different references from different series. That's interesting. I thought I was the only one who'd never seen Lost. <laughs> wow. Based on what I know about Lost, I would say Discourse is probably closer to that than, say, Gilligan's Island. Although, now that I think about it, there's probably a slight element of that as well, with Rita running around with her frying pan just whacking things. <laughs> yeah. So this game is all about choice. Rita gets to decide which characters go where, what their goals are, who's in charge... And that seems to be a common theme with a lot of very popular games and franchises nowadays, whether it's The Walking Dead, Life is Strange, or even Mass Effect. Narrative choice is an up-and-coming, if not already here, gameplay mechanic. To what do you attribute this? Why is that so popular nowadays? I think that just to choose is like a really good fundamental sort of verb um, that you can use in game design that can be implemented in like so many different ways. Like in an action game or something where your main uh, verb is like just to kill or to attack or something, that's something people can easily understand and be like, yeah, I have to kill the bad guys, stuff like that. To choose is almost like this even more fundamental thing of like every human being understands what it is to pick A or B. And it's like this super basic thing, but you can use it in so many different ways and people will just instantly get it which I think is a lot of it. Like if you're just, whether you're playing it or watching a Let's Play or whatever, like you know what's going on, you know how the cause and effect is going to work because that's just what happens when you make a choice. Like it's such a supremely basic thing that it can be used in such diverse ways. I think it's just inherently interesting. That's true. For example, the movie Sophie's Choice, that film would not have been as riveting if you put any other verb in there. But just having <laughs> to choose between these limited options the game presents you can be really challenging, especially when the clock is ticking. Yeah, definitely. I originally bought Discourse actually not even knowing what kind of game it was. I just wanted to support a local Boston developer. And so when I started playing and it asked me to attack the 
crabs. I'm like, oh, this is the action sequence. This is where I get to wail on them. And that actually didn't happen. There really isn't much action. It's mostly dialogue, mostly uh, tree-based, and a few sequences where you get to freely roam around within a confined area, but even that may not necessarily impact what happens next. So there is a lot of choice, but is there a lot of skill yeah, that's one thing we were definitely conscious of is trying to keep the game uh, very accessible because it's um, like it's really just a story. So that's something we don't really think you should need to have really good reflexes in order to experience the quote unquote correct path or anything like that. So, yeah, keeping things like it's uh, directional controls and one button, um, like it's pretty simple to understand and play. And you can't really there's no game over screen. You can't fail either. So, yeah, accessibility was a thing we were definitely thinking about. And yeah, like you can frame, kind of like I was saying before, you can frame choice not just in the uh, choosing what your character is going to say, but the parts of the game where you can roam around, um, choice comes into play of like whether you're finding objects or not and what you're doing with those objects um, kind of all ties into the same system. So I've played through the game once and then I, using the time rewind feature, which is great by the way, I went back and re played specific days and certain events, but I haven't yet started the whole game from scratch again, which I'm looking forward to doing, because I want to make some completely different choices from the get-go. How many different endings are there to this game? Like, if I wanted to do a complete playthrough, if I was a perfectionist, a completionist, how many times would I have to play this game? That's a very interesting question, and one that we've discussed internally basically throughout the entire development of Discourse. Um, And I think the most honest answer to how many endings there are is, I don't know, and I don't think any of us actually know. Because everything, every single choice you make does actually branch the game in either a small way or a large way. Um, and people will count, like, uh, there are some moments in the game where it's more clear that you're making a choice between path A and path B. And people will think, like, oh, that means there's two paths through the game. But really, each one of those things you choose, you could have any permutation of the six people, alive or dead, injured or not injured, with all the different injuries and stuff like that. They could like you or not like you. And all these factors go into what happens when you go down that path. So there's so many like micro branches and um, just details that change. You, um, I mean, you have to draw the line of like what constitutes a, one ending being different from another. Like, like, is it a different ending if you uh, if you get off the island with uh, Garrett and he hates you versus he likes you? Because in each one of those cases, you're seeing unique dialogue and different events will happen and stuff. So really, it's a completely different ending. But uh, it's impossible to count those because there's just um, so many. I think we have, in terms of numbers, we've got 365 variables that we use internally to store like choices that have made a meaningful difference. <laughs> so whatever that is multiplied out by like how many times you can, how many different combinations of stuff, it's, uh, it's definitely an absurd number. If you don't even know how many endings there are, how can you QA them all? I mean, how many times did your quality assurance players have to go through this game to make sure, yep, everything worked, that choice led to this branch, this dialogue makes sense based on what I did earlier, it all works out? Yeah, that was definitely a very interesting challenge. And it kind of, uh, it fed into how we designed our tools. Uh, We designed our tools sort of to make that process easier because we obviously saw from the beginning that was going to be a huge challenge. Uh, So what we kind of ended up doing is parts of the game are compartmentalized into, um, like, you'll have a scene of, like, uh, we're going for water today, and the the water situation is, like, a a chunk. And then we say, what bits of information 
from earlier in the game are relevant to this chunk, and we sort of use those as inputs, which will branch the water event. And then there might be, you know, 10 different ways that can play out based on certain previous things that may have happened. And then when that's over, we send some information to the outputs of that water situation, which can then be used for uh, future situations. So we can jump into the game at any point, and as long as we provide it the information that's relevant to any specific moment in time, we can test that specific moment in time from any endpoint. It's not a uh, perfect way to test things because it requires a lot of knowledge from the tester about how the game works. But that's what we've been doing. And um, I mean, we've been doing most of our testing just ourselves. We don't have like a QA team. Uh, It's just really us doing the testing as we build things. So uh, that's worked out for us, but it's definitely an extremely complicated process to test. As you develop this game, you probably saw other narrative-based games coming out. As I mentioned earlier, Life is Strange. Was there anything that you learned from seeing how those games were working as they were being released and you said oh that's a good idea or oh it's interesting to see how they're tackling this problem that we're addressing we want to learn from that or differentiate ourselves from that the way they're doing it yeah i don't think we did much of that explicitly like we all kind of you know have games that we play and notice different things about different uh, design decisions but i think we had um once we sort of settled on our narrative focus we sort of had a pretty clear vision of like what we wanted discourse to be. Um, I don't think anything else really does it the way we do in terms of just um, it's almost making as opposed to making a story game. It's like we've created this like dense chaotic ball of multiple stories and the game is like going through that ball and picking out different stories and different threads and stuff like that. So it's a bit weird even to compare it to like Walking Dead type games where it's um, a straight up story Uh, because it really is meant to be played more than once and sort of explored in a different way than uh, most narrative games. I found this game most similar to Microzine, which is a monthly game on disc that I used to get back when I was in grade school. It was aimed at educational environments, and they would have these sort of a choose-your-own-adventure type of game called Twist-A-Plot, where it was basically a text-driven game, but illustrated with various graphics on the Apple II screen. And that's kind of what Discourse felt like to me. It was a choose-your-own-adventure game with graphics. And I loved that. I felt like it was Microzine grown up, and I felt like a little kid again playing it, especially as you mentioned. It's so accessible. You don't need to have fast reaction times. It's just something anybody can play. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm glad you got that. (laughs) Now, you were talking about the vision for the game and how that was influenced in part by your fans. As far as I know, this was the first time Alchemy has relied on crowdfunding to create a game. At least I don't see any other Kickstarters associated with that account. So what sort of lessons or surprises did you encounter along that path? Yeah, this was our first uh, use of Kickstarter. So that was definitely a new experience instead of challenges. It was We did the Kickstarter in November of 2013. So the game had not actually formed into its final narrative-based direction that we have now. And it was really interesting to see, like, uh, we still had elements in the game at that time of, like, Twitch-based combat. Like, you would actually have to hunt an animal with uh, reflexes and stuff like that. So it was a concern uh, after we did the Kickstarter of, like, yeah, people backed this uh, survival game. Are they going to be upset if we, you know, change the direction into this more story-focused thing? And um, I guess we lucked out by having awesome backers and fans who were just totally supportive of it because... Um, people ended up digging the direction and uh, it kind of just worked out. 
But uh, yeah, it was. It's weird to have uh, such a concrete idea in people's heads of like, oh yeah, this is the game I backed. This is the game I want, and then having to change that because we know we can make it better. That was a weird decision to have to make, um, but it definitely worked out for the best, I think. And there were not many people who were upset or who were demanding refunds or anything? Uh, no, actually. It was uh, pretty well received considering how drastic of a change we ended up making to the design. Huh, impressive. If I'm reading Kickstarter correctly, it looks like the game was originally slated for September 2014. Were there some bumps along the way that pushed it back to February of 2015? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we were still um, in the process of changing our direction a bit at the time, so um, taking estimates as to uh, how long it would take to generate content and stuff was still uh, difficult at that time. And we got uh, we got good feed- a lot of good feedback from uh, PAX East that year uh, in 2014, uh, which did a lot to help shape the game and stuff. So uh, after PAX, we sort of had this sit-down discussion of like, how are we going to change the game and what are we actually going to do now that we know, now that we've got all this feedback? And um, yeah, I mean, sometimes you just have to push the date back because you need more time. That's just how it is. But uh, yeah, once we, uh, once we figured out what we were actually going to do, um, then we were able to make a better uh, estimate. I'm sorry, I said February 2015. The game came out March 25th, which means at the time of this interview, the game has been out only about two weeks. So far on Steam, the reviews are listed as very positive. The only criticism I've found of the game is that it might be too short. How would you say the communities respond to this game? Has it been fairly positive? Yeah, the reaction's been uh, incredibly good um, from what I was expecting, because, yeah, it's definitely more of a... I guess more of a niche title because uh, you would expect only people who are into like choose your own adventure books and stuff like that to be really interested and know what they're getting into. Um, but yeah, the the positive reaction has been fantastic. And yeah, like the people who, who complain about it being too short, I think are um, not understanding what they're getting really because it is it's difficult to explain to people what discourse is, um, and it's not so much a story as like a. Uh, repeatable world that you can go into and pull stories out of. So, yeah, if you play it once, uh, it's only going to be, you know, an hour long. But uh, that's really not what the game is. Now, for people who have a YouTube channel like I do, did you take into consideration that this might be a difficult game to Let's Play? Uh, we actually thought that Let's Plays would be a pretty useful tool for um, demonstrating the the scope of the differences you can get uh, by making different choices. And um, I don't think any of us expected uh, Let's Players to pick it up as much as it has been. Um, it's been great. And uh, yeah, it's awesome, especially uh, people who will play through the game with, uh, like with a co-host or something and uh, be talking back and forth about like, oh, I did that in my playthrough and you're doing this and it's completely different. I haven't even seen this content before. And um, people who play through it uh, talking like that uh, is really helpful to sort of demonstrate and explain uh, the scope of the game. So that's been really helpful. For someone who may be the sort of completionist I was referring to earlier, I can see how they might be tempted to do a Let's Play that actually has YouTube pop-ups along each of the choices unless the viewers on YouTube actually click a box in the YouTube video and branch out to another video so they can actually play the game technically through YouTube. Although, if there are really 300-plus variables, that would be a lot of videos. That would be a very, very big channel. Even just to do the dialogue choices would be uh, a ridiculous undertaking, but there are also parts in the game where uh, you know you have to move and uh, react to stuff and explore and stuff like that, which 
probably wouldn't really work with that method. But yeah, you'd be looking at you know thousands of videos to do something like that. Cool. So one last question. As I mentioned, this was Alchemy's first time on Kickstarter, and this is a very different kind of game from what you've done before. So for people who are looking for some sort of uh, lineage or heritage of games that they can put their money behind, they can say, okay, this is a company that does racing sims really well, or this is a company that does sports games really well. I know that they've a proven track record in that genre, so I'm going to back this game because I know what I'm going to get. But as you mentioned, what connects all the alchemy games together is just that you do what you think is cool. And that is cool, but it doesn't necessarily establish a consistency that some less eager investors may be looking for. So what was the pitch for Discourse? How do you say, hey, we've never done a game like this. Here's why you should give us your money. I mean, I think the thing that connects a lot of alchemy games is kind of the lightheartedness and sense of humor that we uh, tend to approach things with. That's pretty consistent across titles. And I think it's kind of like we make games that you might think are like uh, weird or strange or it's like, why would that be? Why, why, why are you making that? And then the answer is just like, well, we thought it would be cool to make. Trust us, you'll like it. And then you do like it. And that's like... Um, yeah, it's kind of placing some trust on us, but we the thread we try to weave through everything is just that, yeah, this thing is weird and different, but you'll have fun because uh, we put a lot of love and effort into it, and we think you'll like it. It's kind of a trust thing, I suppose. I think that's a very accurate motto for discourse. It's weird and different, and you'll have fun. <laughs> I mean, it certainly worked for me. So thank you so much for giving us your time to talk about Discourse. It's been a great game, and I hope it continues to go well for the company. I'm looking forward to getting some more endings, and I'll be keeping my eye out for that indie dev DLC. That sounds fantastic. Any ETA for that? Uh, nothing concrete yet for that, but uh, yeah, soon enough. Can we say calendar year 2015? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Thank you, sir. Awesome. Thanks for having me. This has been Indie Slider, a GameBits production. Find more episodes, read our blog, or send feedback at IndieCider.net.